0: To elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty.
1: Radio, radio
2: this is 3CR Breakfast. Oh, yeah. Alternative news, analysis, Clap and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am oh, to late 30 am
3: Holy double. Clap
1: Clap your I'm
3: hands.
2: Good morning and welcome to 3CR Breakfast. Today you'll hear conversations on politics, alternative news, community actions and other updates.
4: Well, Dr Louis Dean Valencia Garcia is an Assistant Professor of Digital History at Texas State University. He's a Senior Fellow and Head of the History Research Unit for the Centre for the Analysis of the Radical Right. And Louis begins our interview by describing Texas's new repressive abortion law.
5: Where to start Uh, The best way I like to think a little bit about this right now is people are trying to figure it out as it's happening. It's a completely new type of law in which essentially what it does is it gives any person the right to sue anybody else if they've had anything to do with an abortion. Um, That is to say, uh, providing services to uh, help a person have access to health care Uh, after six weeks roughly of pregnancy. And so basically, if you're living in Minnesota and you know of somebody who is an Uber driver in Texas who gave somebody a ride to um, an abortion clinic, uh, they would be potentially liable for up to $10,000. People are calling it a bounty hunter law, and it does indeed seem to be that way, doesn't it? I think that's really the only way to think about it. It's uh, basically it's extrajudiciary, so it doesn't exist within the uh, normal, we'll say, juridic cycle. It's not like the people are being arrested. It's uh, entirely sort of a civil law that is being used to give people the right to sue anybody who is helping a woman have access to uh, reproductive health how has the us supreme court responded essentially what we have right now is the us supreme court not responding um so five of the four uh five of the nine justices have said that they're basically just going to let it go through the normal sort of channel so it has to uh go into law then it has to be there has to be some sort of case there could be retrials there can be appeals, this sort of thing, until it potentially gets to the Supreme Court. But the Supreme Court's basically denied um, sort of addressing the issue until it's sort of put in their laps, which could take years even.
4: Are we seeing a scenario where Roe versus Wade is under threat?
5: I think one way that I am thinking about this is that essentially what's happening is a threat against people having bodily autonomy uh, and I think this is happening just in particularly in Texas just as much for women um, as it's happening also for trans people for example there's this sort of attempt by the radical right to really uh, clamp down on uh, women and queer people having bodily autonomy uh, that is to say. To do what they want with their bodies Uh, this has been happening particularly in texas recently as well with uh, trans youth uh, where they've made attempts to say that it is illegal for people to give any sort of health services to uh, people who are underage um, that would help them better uh, have treatment for sort of gender dysphoria and this sort of thing as well so it's really it is an effort right now What we're seeing in the news is an effort against women, particularly, which has been a decades long sort of attack. But this is also part and parcel of sort of an attempt that's been going on more generally on the right to really oppress people for their gender and sexuality. Yes,
4: indeed it's the perfect cocktail mix for the far right, isn't it with a sympathetic Supreme Court and an emboldened Republican party since Donald Trump left office i mean his his influence over American society is still enormous, isn't
5: it it is it really is, and I think that um, oftentimes we sort of think that well trump's uh, often his uh, Florida beach resort uh, palace, but he is actively still engaging with his constituents, and there are a large number of people who feel more emboldened and more empowered to do this sort of just unthinkable thing that uh, previously hadn't even been attempted. And I think that what we're going to see is this is going to be one of the major issues coming up in the midterm elections in the United States in a couple of years, but it's going to also affect people nationwide. Uh, what's happening in Texas right now really is just an affer- a first attempt by a uh, right-wing state, but I can easily imagine other right-wing states doing this as well. Absolutely, and lots of states seem to be following Texas's lead on, on voter suppression.
4: What can you tell us about voter suppression law in Texas?
5: Voter suppression law in Texas right now is really, uh, it's been enacted essentially what we're seeing is uh laws that are going to restrict people from having access to early voting or people even being able to give uh people without uh vehicles a ride to a voter station for example and this is going to be just astronomically Im- uh, important in the coming years as it is primarily uh, targeting people of color and also districts that are more heavily populated, uh, that are in urban centers, which tend to vote more for Democrats. One way I like to think about Texas is, oftentimes it's portrayed in the media as being very conservative, but really what uh, Texas suffers from is a uh, really bad case of gerrymandering. If we were to look at the numbers, most often, if we were just to go by population, Uh, and who votes for whom, we would see that actually Democrats have a very strong uh, lead in a lot of Texas um, elections. And one of the challenges there is that representation really is not matching what is the voter population in Texas. And these laws are really meant to try to really solidify uh, what essentially is gerrymandering and trying to cheat the system. It seems like the Republican Party, ever since the big
4: lie, has just got worse and worse. Has become even more anti-democracy. What are your thoughts on that?
5: I think that one way that I'm still um, seeing this, and I think I mentioned this last time, is that I see the what the radical right and what I consider the Republican Party is radical right uh, is trying to do is a very simply anti-democratic, anti-pluralistic. Program That is fascistic. And it seems a little bit sort of over the top to be saying that after Trump's been already out of the White House for some time now. But I think what we're seeing is sort of this acceptance of just what uh, previously would have been completely unthinkable in a democratic society.
4: Yeah, absolutely. From an outsider's perspective overseas, it looks like the Republican Party is getting worse. It looks like they're getting more anti-democratic, and it looks like they're getting increasingly more fascist. And, uh, you know, some of your uh, politicians over there in the Republican Party really seem to be trying to incite more violence since the insurrection.
5: Yes, absolutely. And I think that uh, we see this particularly with some of the changes in gun laws texas again which is sort of a hotbed of a lot of this it's uh now legal for somebody to have open carry which essentially means that a person can have a gun that they don't even have to have any sort of permit to have in virtually any public space um say if you're walking down the street or in a public plaza or what have you it's um as a few friends of mine who actually study the uh sort of the west uh in the 1800s this wasn't even the norm there were rules in town about like how you're supposed to behave as a good citizen and i think that's one of the things that we're starting to see here is just a slide into what is a completely militarized uh society that is really allowing the republican party to arm its supporters and feel empowered to go after anybody who doesn't uh, think the way that they do. What are your thoughts on the congressional
4: investigation into January six, into the insurrection? I mean, the way the Republican Party is responding, it kind of looks like they're admitting that they were enabling the insurrection. Just their threats to telecommunications companies, for example, and telling them that, you know if they hand over records, they'll be shut down if the Republicans ever regain power federally.
5: Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think what we're seeing with at least the sort of committee investigation is that it is very much so pro forma in that it doesn't have any bite. Uh, There's no sort of repercussions that can really come out of it as long as um, it's only coming from the congress and not both a sort of joint effort by the congress and the senate and so what we're going to end up with is maybe more information about what happened and how it was organized but i think what the republican party is trying to do is really trying to not just hide sort of what happened but like you said it's openly admitting this is what's happened and we don't really care if it's out in the open there is really hard there is almost no way to deny what had happened and i think that's what the republican party has started to accept is they're not going to try to back down from it it's perpetuating the big lie and i think what my fear is it's ultimately going to have two uh two worlds where you have people who are living in sort of a fact-based reality and people who are not. It's uh, an alternate history of what um, really happened on um, the 6th of January. What are your thoughts on how the Biden
4: administration is travelling? I learned the other day they've done some wonderful things like wiping college debt for students with disabilities.
5: Yes. So I think those types of efforts are... um, Needed, uh, but I think that it needs to go even further. So, one of the things that they have done, uh, the Biden administration uh, had done, is uh, expanded sort of until next year what is this um, uh, payment for anybody who has any student loans. So, essentially, the government is making payments for people who have student debt. And there's a big effort, particularly from Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, both senators to wipe out all the debt for students. And this is meant to be sort of a big boost for the economy. It gives more sort of uh, freedom to really do things with extra money that I think that a lot of people who are millennials and uh, Gen Zers in particular, are not able to sort of have the same sort of stability as previous generations have had. And so this these sort of efforts Uh, While in most developed countries are pretty standard, uh, the United States, uh, younger people in the United States in particular, have been suffering for quite some time because of just the enormous amount of debt that they have, starting off their lives. What are your thoughts on the
4: withdrawal from Afghanistan? I mean, Biden honored his promise, but also it looks like Donald Trump set it up when he was in office so that things would go quite
5: badly when the withdrawal did happen. And it was very hard for Biden to undo that. I think that's absolutely correct. And I would add on to that is anytime we've ever seen sort of a colonial oppressor occupying a territory, we've rarely seen the removal of the colonial oppressor uh, leave smoothly. It doesn't happen. Um, Didn't happen in Vietnam. Uh, rarely happens anywhere. We've seen this in the history of uh, the Middle East for generations now, right? And I think that anything that was going to happen was going to be messy. Uh, but the Trump administration really set it up where there was not uh, enough of a runway to really get any sort of efforts together to remove people in time and to help people evacuate who had been um, supporting the United States as translators and service, et cetera, et cetera. And I think one of the things is here. It's um, if you looked at some of the videos that uh, from just this past summer, Trump was lauding the the idea that this is going to happen, that troops are going to be pulled out. And now there's uh, been a very concerted effort by the Republican Party to remove uh, any sort of reference to this being related to Trump's initial efforts in the first place. And while I, I obviously uh, don't agree with Biden on a lot of things. Um, I do think that given the circumstances, we historically can only see sort of this, uh, deoccupation by any sort of colonial oppressor, which I think that we can say the United States being in Afghanistan for 20 years counts. Right. Uh, I think that this is part and parcel of what you're going to see and it is violence. And that's really the fault of 20 years of mismanagement and horror.
4: Absolutely. And of course, just freeing up, you know, $300 million a day uh, for the US economy to spend on other things is going to be enormously helpful as Biden tries to rebuild the economy.
5: Yes, absolutely. And I think that Um, what we see is that the United States spends by far um, too much money on military. Uh, And if you look at sort of the numbers, I think I've seen uh, numbers quoted as much as like, if we used 5% of the military spending uh, on education in the United States, we could actually have most education paid for. So we're talking about massive amounts of money here. And I think that ultimately the United States needs to reevaluate its priorities and focus more uh, on the problems that it has at home rather than trying to exert its weight uh, elsewhere in the world. Speaking on issues closer to home, what
4: can you tell us about the coronavirus surge in Texas?
5: Oh, it's uh, it's a little bit of a disaster right now. I, I think one of the tragedies of it is that so many people have just sort of accepted that they're going to get COVID, that they've just stopped caring. And I think really that sort of apathy is at the heart of what a lot of the surge is right now. It's people accepting that they just don't care enough for each other to protect each other. And it's also compounded by people being anti-vaxxers and this and that, but if you walk into a restaurant um, or a cafe in the United uh, in Texas in particular right now, people are not wearing masks. Uh, I'm teaching classes where uh, this uh, semester we're in per- uh, in person, and students I, I would say at least um, a little over a tenth of every, of the students in the class are refusing to wear masks, um, despite people saying that they have elderly family members or kids who can't get vaccinated yet or that they're they have people that are in their lives that are immunocompromised it just seems to be a very uh simple lack of empathy for uh other people it's almost as though the social contract is started to fray at its seams i know that sounds dire but i think that's kind of what we're dealing with in some levels To what extent is Texas Governor Abbott
4: enabling the spread of the pandemic by kind of, you know, encouraging these wacky views around masks?
5: Well, I think that the governor essentially has said that no state-run institution can mandate vaccines or masks. And uh, despite the fact that he himself is vaccinated, despite the fact that he has gotten COVID himself, despite the fact that he had access to really good health care to give him sort of uh, top of the line access for treating COVID-19. He's still not making any sort of efforts to uh, alleviate this. And I think it's because he believes that his base very much so doesn't believe in the virus, or they think that it's sort of a lost cause, and they're tired of wearing masks and having to do all these things that we necessarily have to do to keep people safe.
4: Why do you think the MAGA base is so anti-vaccine? Surely they must get the science that you know it enables them to have a level of freedom and not make other people sick. I mean, it just seems extraordinary, doesn't it, that they would endanger other people like that?
5: I. I've honestly been baffled by this myself, and the only thing that I can come up with is three things. One, uh, there's such a poor education of uh, middle school biology. Uh, people don't understand how exponents work, and uh, they don't understand history and the ways that we have dealt with uh, any sort of outbreak in the past. And I think that those three things right there are actually part... of Part of the problem that we're seeing is people are not educated uh, in a way that lets them know how to uh, identify which authorities to trust. They think that they can look on the Internet and just find some random website or trust uh, sort of a talking head on Fox News. And I really think like all of these things are part of the problem. It's a lack of education at the most basic level. But also it's tied to sort of this uh, radical uh, Christianity that has really sort of taken um, hold here, where there's this belief that God will somehow uh, take care of everything. And it's sort of just living in a, a world where in some way everything is left up to the winds You are a doctor of fascism. Uh, You're a
4: fascism history expert. Uh, What are your thoughts and observations about how the far-right vigilante groups are operating in America? Uh, I'm thinking of the Proud Boys and other groups.
5: Uh, Right now, they are not just active, they are recruiting and growing, and they are finding new ways of reaching their audiences. And I think that one of the problems is that a lot of this right-wing rhetoric is really coming from sort of not just uh, fascist groups, but it's also spreading to mainstream media or uh, conservative media at the very least that was uh, previously not as right-wing. So take, for example, on Fox News, oftentimes you're hearing all summer you've, uh, you've heard things about critical race theory being sort of, the boogeyman when in reality critical race theory is sort of a way of understanding race race and the history of race and racism that is not really controversial within academia and it's one way that lawyers think about sort of these issues that are systemic and I think that one of the things that this fear of critical race theory is really coming from is from right-wing uh far right-wing fascistic groups that are speaking about what they call white genocide, speaking about these sort of uh, ways of understanding that are just uh, anti-pluralistic, anti-democratic. And it's become very much so part of a normal standard right, uh, right right-wing perspective and not just sort of the fringe, right, which it previously was you must have great concerns if the Republican Party
4: ever regains control of the White House or indeed Congress, that they will do whatever they can to ensure that democracy is dead in America.
5: When you put it that way, it definitely sounds um, it sounds dire. And I, honestly, I think that every time we talk, I bring up the word dire, but it does feel that way still. And I think that what the Republican Party is doing right now is really trying to hold on to whatever levers of power that it has in order to move itself to this imagined past. And that imagined past is somewhere between Jim Crow South and, uh, before the civil rights movement. And it's really this attempt to backtrack the United States into what is, uh, not just a right wing country or conservative country, or a religious Christian country but it's really trying to make it into this white Christian nationalist country uh, that maybe the United States has always had at its heart somewhere but it's trying to make this uh, what previously had been a more pluralistic country at its greatest aspirations into this puritanical country and I think what we're trying to we're seeing here is sort of the different faces of the United States are finally kind of becoming part of this imagery. It's the Puritanic uh, hell and fury country that maybe was at its founding and that's racist built on slavery. Also combating with this sort of country that is coming out of the enlightenment that has this concept of Liberty and maybe pluralism of some sort. And I think right now those two different faces of the United States are really, really going to be having a go at it. And I don't see it ending anytime soon.
4: Louis Dean Valencia Garcia, thank you so much for talking to me today on 3CR. It's always wonderful to get your insights. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
6: Thank you to James from In Your Face for bringing us that interview. Um, We'll be back right after this.
2: Victoria, to keep us safe, we know what to do. There are only five reasons to leave home. Shopping for food and supplies that you need. Exercise, both within five kilometres of your home or as close to home as possible. Care and caregiving. Authorised work or education if you can't do it from home. Getting vaccinated as soon as you're eligible. Masks are mandatory indoors and outdoors. And if you have any symptoms, get tested. For the latest updates, go to coronavirus.vic.gov.au. Authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne, a 3CR supporter.
6: Welcome to Monday Breakfast here on 3CR. Uh, today is Monday the 13th of September and uh, we're nearly um, nearly get, getting to 7.30am. My name is Fung um, and up... Next, we've got a song by um, Kiwi artist Lord. This is her track Supercut.
1: In my head, I play a supercut of us. All the magic we gave off, all the love we had and lost. And in my head, the visions never stop. These ribbons wrap me up But when I reach for you There's just a supercut In your car the radio up In your car the radio up We keep trying to talk about us I'm someone you may be my love I'll be your quiet afternoon crush Be your violent overnight rush Make you crazy over my touch But it's just a supercut of us Supercut of us Oh, it's just a super cut of-
6: Supercut by Lord. We're now going to go to an interview uh, that Priya from Thursday Breakfast had with Barkinje woman and Wilcannia resident Monica Kerwin. They spoke to Priya to provide some updates on the COVID 19 situation in Wilcannia, highlighting how the federal and state government have failed Aboriginal communities during this pandemic.
7: You're listening to 3CR 855 AM. We're going to go to a chat that I had with Barkindee woman and Wilcannia resident Monica Kerwin, who spoke with me about the COVID-19 situation in Wilcannia and highlighted how the federal and state government have failed Aboriginal communities during the Delta wave. And before we go into that, I just want to note that there is some mention of suicidal ideation, as so as a content warning, um, please be aware of that. And if you need to speak to anybody about this, you can always call Lifeline on 131114. That's 131114, Australia-wide, 24 hours and seven days a week. And here's that conversation with Monica.
8: Thank you so much for joining me on 3CR to talk about the situation in Wilcania. Uh Thank you. So could you start off by maybe introducing yourself in a little more detail and telling us about your relationship to the community?
9: Yep, Um, I'm Monica Kerwin, born and raised in Wilcannia. I'm a Barkindee descendant, Um, lived in Wilcannia all my life, grew up here. Um, Yeah, and my relationship in in my community, um, I... You know, I have a big relationship with a lot of the Aboriginal families here. I know every single one of them, um, from the oldest elder that we, living elder that we do have, down to, right down to the youngest baby, um, babies that was born. So, yeah. That obviously means
8: that you've got quite a good view of the way that COVID-19 has hit the community and um, you've been speaking to media and posting video updates about the situation in Wilcannia since the first COVID cases. Um, and you've been amplifying, you know, things like the appalling suggestion that Wilcannia residents simply order Uber Eats. Um, so, yeah, could you give us an update on the developing COVID-19 situation in Wilcannia?
9: Yeah, um, well, at the moment, um, you know, probably the rest of Australia can see that, um, you know, our numbers have risen um since last month um we're up to 100 and something i'm told today but um and we don't know if that's minus the um the first lot of COVID um cases that we've had so we don't know if they took away the 20 odd that um were first um tested positive they've um, come out of um lockdown and um never fully recovered but yeah and they're out and you know out of lockdown so you know the numbers are pretty high and the situation here is um you know it's well the whole process of it all um was a very slow response is all i can say just a very slow response on both state and federal's um you know on their watch really they should have you know um it shouldn't have happened it shouldn't have happened in an aboriginal community considering you know um government you know put us up there as um vulnerable
8: yeah and i mean aboriginal communities around the country have been really proactive in trying to secure those supports for a, a you know uh, a preemptive response in, in the case that something like this would happen but how is the response actually being on the ground, especially since
9: COVID has now hit? A very slow one. We've they've only got 30 um, camper vans in them um, on Saturday on um, just last weekend, and you know it's now the middle of the week, and still no none of the residents of you know community have isolated in them. Because the community feels that, you know, it's a little bit too late, mm. month too late. You know, we had to wait a month for them to get um, anything into this community. The food security was because of, you know, beautiful people around, around Australia, not the Australian government. They sent in here 16 pallets of um, dry goods um, and that was, you know, um, the first week but the community wasn't going to get that food until the second week, until they organised volunteers. Um, You know, so the food security is is pretty much the only quick response um, we've ever got, and that was um, because of the Australian people dipped into their own pockets and, you know, um, had connections out there um, to, to... to get the food security um up quickly but as for isolating families you know um that's that's one month too late and a hundred and odd cases way too late
8: yeah i mean as we've seen the delta variant really spreads so fast and when there's housing insecurity and food insecurity as well even waiting a couple of days can be
9: make or break well you know, a lot of the families was crying out for, you know, I need somewhere else to stay because I'm tested positive and I don't want to go back into the house, you know, where it's currently overcrowded. But their health service was saying you need to go home and isolate, not knowing. And you said, well, New South Wales Health, really, sending people back, you know, into their homes when they don't fully understand that there's an overcrowding situation. There was no, n- nothing on the ground, um, no emergency plan put in place. We, we still, to this day, our community have not seen an emergency plan of any sort. A plan, well, not an emergency one now, but a plan of any sort. Mm-hmm. We're still left in the dark and they're still you know, having their meetings around the table and it's not getting back to the grassroots people. We had the health minister fly into this community yesterday and, you know, uh, we don't understand what for. You know, is it to come in here and, and, and tell the emergency crew here or the SES and all of them, give him a pat on the on the back for a what, slow response? Or we just don't understand why the man came here. And a community that he blamed, you know, um, an Aboriginal family for starting this covid we're all in a lockdown and he came into this community and he went to the hospital up there. You know, there was an elder sitting in that in, in on the back veranda having a visit from her grandchildren and great grandchildren while they stood under the balcony on the riverbank just to say hello to her. You know, he couldn't even have the decency to walk in there and apologize to her. An apology to the community or somebody you know, not coming in and then walk away and say, oh, you know, I can actually see they have a housing issue now. We've been crying out for this housing issue for, you know, ever since I was a child. That's over 50 years ago. You know, we got overcrowding problem because, you know, we, we, we had a couple of deaths long before that funeral. So families was coming home to be with other grieving families. We weren't in a lockdown. Our community was not in a lockdown. Sydney was, but, Volcania well, wasn't, you know. And they just failed us. State, federal, all of them, they failed us. They failed this community. They're failing all the outback communities, you know, up and down this Darling River here. They're failing our people. The only only good going to come out of this is our people survive it, you know. They, they, they They're surviving this. And and that's the only good thing I can see. We haven't had a death yet from COVID, thank God. And I'm thanking God for that. But we haven't had a death.
8: In order for it to stay that way, what are some of the things that you're calling for to, to protect the community and service people's immediate needs?
9: You know, for it to stay this way, you know, encouraging our mob to just stay in this lockdown period, you know, just I know it's really hard for a lot of families, especially when you're in an overcrowding situation. But, you know, they, they've offered vans now and nobody trusts government here. So really just trying to get mob, you know, to stay home and, and just, you know, just hang in there through this lockdown period. Just sit still for a while, you know. That's a really difficult part of this is you know, when
8: there hasn't been the public health communication or the resourcing or the rapid response from government, then people are left to try and sort out this incredibly difficult situation by themselves. Yeah. Is there anything uh, that the wider community can do, you know, from
9: outside of Wilkenya? Well, really, I think, you know, they've done an excellent job in, you know, getting it out there that, you know, the lack of support we did have. So, you know, just getting getting our voices heard out there, you know, um, through the media, um, you know, whether it's mainstream or social media or whatever it is, but, you know, and, and, you know, the outside help, um, that we did get, I will praise that because it was Australian, the Australian people, you know, who've either experienced this, um, you know, in bigger, bigger communities or, cities or whatever but they've supported us more than you know a lot of government organisations and the government themselves so you know I I really honestly I I cannot thank those beautiful people of this country you know I can't thank them enough you know honestly it was all I could say that you know I'm blessed to know that people out there did care about us you know Um, and and Got our message out there and really you know put the spotlight on willcanyon and you know um was up the government about it you know we never thought we'd actually get covered twelve months after it hit you know all um oh well from twelve months ago you know lockdown being in lockdown twelve months ago so we we all aptly did that you know we were complying to all the all the laws that were out there. And then, um, you know, things were running smoothly until, you know, I'd say the 11th of last month, you know, um, is when things went A-wise for us. And we we just don't understand, you know, how somebody could slip through the system and bring a virus in here that, you know, almost, we almost had had a few deaths from, you know, because, you know, they, they just was negligence. It just comes down to negligence. And I will always say that, you know, I will say that they neglected their duty of care as a government and, you know, especially a lot of the organisations that get government funding, you know, right down to our health um, system here on the ground. Our, well, our health services on the ground. They've even failed us too and still failing us. The message is that people who are
8: outside who have the, the privilege of being able to, you know, amplify voices of people who are in the community affected by this and donating where they can is, is really important.
9: And that's where, you know, we we, we very much appreciate that. that. That response was the best response we've ever got, you know, um, from from just everyday people, you know, just hardworking people, you know, and caring people out there. That was the best for us, that, that response and getting all that food in here and, you know, just now people are more relaxed at home now and, you know, when it first hit last month, you know, I know a lot of young people was on the verge of committing suicide, you know, on top of... Corona coming into the community, we we also had that black dog creep in here, and now you know health is saying shall we bring in a lot of um you know counsellors and all this? I said what for? You know if anything we've we've held each other up this long, why do we need you? You know yeah. is the question. Why do we need you? Why do you want to come in? Because we're sick and tired. Of the ticker box response, and that's what it's been. They come in, tick their box and you know leave yeah, and
8: at the end of the day, um, you know bringing in counseling support like mental health support is important when people need it, but at the same time it's it's not the same as alleviating
9: the pressures that lead to people's distress yeah, if we you know the families coped within homes of um you know, being tested positive, and you know, even giving it to their children. You know, um, their children was tested positive, and you know that as as a mum and a grandmum, I'd be I'd be devastated. You know, to know that okay, all I did was just go up the shop, mm. you know, and and grabbed a bottle of milk, and 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 I come home and I gave COVID to the rest of my family. You know, that emotionally and mentally, that you know. Would have been crushing for a lot of parents. It would have just crushed them. And you know, like I said, a lot of them are young, young parents. Um, you know, all sorts of things was going through their heads. Plus, the community is still grieving. You know, we still, we still have two more um, funerals in this community, and you know, that's not, not going to happen the way culturally we do things. You know, so yeah. So, you know, dealing with all of that and this COVID outbreak and, you know, being being at home and your child got COVID and, you know, all sorts of things going through your head, like, is, is my cook kid going to die tonight? They they want to bring in counsellors for that, you know, and a lot of us, you know, we contacted, well, I did contact a lot of the young families and just, you know, ask them how they're going. And a lot of them, you know, to hear men cry, and young women say they want to end their life. It was just heartbreaking, you know, that the response to to COVID outbreak in an Aboriginal community that's also grieving, you know, was I don't know, just appalling on the government's behalf. If I could say, you know, and encourage other Aboriginal communities out there, is have your own, you know, COVID emergency plan ready to go to protect your people. You know, set something up now. Use what's happened in, you know, our community as something you sit at the table and talk to one another about at grassroots level and start your own COVID emergency plan and shove that in government's face. Because at the end of the day, you know, we've uh, we've only ever wanted to be part of the solution, but we weren't invited to the table.
7: Barkindy woman and Wilcannia resident Monica Kerwin who joined me to provide some updates on the COVID 19 situation in Wilcannia, highlighting how the federal and state government have failed Aboriginal communities during the Delta wave? Yeah, it, it is pretty heavy listening to the, the impacts that it's had on the Wilcannia community and also, you know, in the context of seeing COVID 19 spread like wildfire across far west New South Wales Aboriginal communities. And uh, this segment did include some mentions of suicidal ideation. So if you did need to speak to anybody about that, you can contact Lifeline 24-7 Australia-wide on one three one 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 four.
6: Thank you to Priya from Thursday Breakfast for bringing us that really important interview with Monica Kerwin. Please tune in to 3CR Breakfast every Thursday from 7 a.m. We're now going to go to a song called Our Country, Our Way, which is by the Wilcannia mob, Intergeneration. It was written, recorded and filmed over five days back in 2016 in the community of Wilcannia. And it was a community project with a group of young Indigenous people enrolled at Wilcannia High School and a group of community leaders from both Wilcannia and Broken Hill.
3: you're of Western New South Wales. Anywhere along the river is of Murdy. From other side of Berg to the And we to say, if you cross the dial and river and have a drink of the water, you'll come
1: back to Volcana. <laughs> Farmers keep the block alive, Black is nation. ten thousand generations, main people of the river since the gonna creation Make
3: it for go from the melee
1: to the mission, back to town. for
3: and Pomerangs, play shake the shaking ground. Wimperches. <laughs> Barking jean broad. Wimperches. <laughs> Brr.
1: Barking Jean Brown. got sickness like it affected my mouth. It's like my people ditch, fishing for smoking and sippin' growth. My people side around, started a the blind Getting traumas like a shadow that'll fall on your home. Well, the boss is the boss. Then enough is enough. Get the light right to be sickling that'll walk and pass the ball.
3: Shake a leg in the red dessert. We yeah. dance the the In Waikubira Nachi we trust Run like the wind You know I'm gonna prove you wrong
1: Bit of courage and guts, hard work Determination Gotta protect our culture For the future generation. Win
3: Run like the river We keep our
1: culture strong Got strength and respect Flowing from my ancestors On
3: this land where we belong land where we belong with Don't, me me talk. Talk. Don't panic, you're smart work hard, help
1: I'm gonna make deadly choices. Gonna make deadly choices. Keep your eyes on the pride, Never give up. Being a leader for my people takes courage and gaps. Uh. Give it up
0: for the fucking deal, well, you on the map? I reckon culture on the way out, we bringin' a back. People think we can't do, but we're giving it a crack. We can't forget about
1: the colours red, yellow, and black. Longer at the call, someone line, the script, kicking down the door Sister girl, spitting like you never seen
0: before Just written in the star, seven sisters brought the law Born and bred for Kenya, well, cause this, this is, is where we at Once you cross the darling, we know you're coming back Let me see them hands if you're feeling the track We're Bark proud, yeah, we're Bark and be black
3: Run like the wind, you know I'm gonna prove you
0: wrong
1: Running like the river, we keep our culture strong.
10: Thought strength
3: and respect flowing from my ancestors. On this land where we belong.
0: Earth Greetings is a 3CR supporter.
6: Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. It's 7.53am. If you've just joined us, we played the song Our Country, Our Way by the Wukanya Mob, Intergeneration. Now we're going to go to a segment that was recorded with some kids from 34 Reggio at Collingwood College the last during the last break from lockdown to around May and June. These students um, visited 3CR and got to experience the power of radio and recorded interviews in the studio and produced their own podcasts. So we're going to listen to um Shamail, Zara, Ilhan and Fatma interview Minnie the hip hop artist.
1: You're listening to Fidget Kids and it's going to be awesome, so stay tuned. And if you're wondering who Fidget Kids are, we are students from 3-4 Reggio from Collingwood College. And a big thanks to 3CR and the Yarra Council. Hi, Hi we, we are, are Shamayel Zara. Ilhan and Fatima. Why did you want to be a hip-hop artist?
0: Um, I started out doing like spoken word poetry. So that's kind of what I used to do. And um, I really loved hip-hop. Actually, when I was a kid, when I was in like year five, I really wanted to be a rapper. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of, I come from a really musical family. And so I didn't really think that I would be the one that would be musical Ooh kicking things but then I kind of gave it a go and it was really fun and so I kept
1: doing it. Uh, Were you interested in hip-hop when you were a kid?
0: Yeah definitely Um, I used to put on shows for like other kids at recess and but that was more pop music that was more like I don't know if it's before your time but like Spice Girls and S Club 7 (laughs) that kind of thing and then when I was in year 5 like year 4-5 I kind of got into hip-hop and at our school we had a thing where the year five sixes got to choose the bell like they'd play music over the bell on a Friday and um a couple of times I got to choose the music and I always chose hip-hop.
1: What type (laughs) of hip-hop do you do?
0: Um oh that's a good question I I kind of do like I don't really make the beats myself so I sort of work with beat makers and I work with a couple of different beat makers that make really different kinds so some of it's a little bit more R&B kind of vibe some of it's more like trap kind of stuff yeah
1: did you always want to be a rapper
0: um not always when I was a kid I wanted to be a vet (laughs) And then um, when I was like in high school, I wanted to be – well, I wanted to work in radio um, and I, I do also do radio. I do a show at 3CR here called Satellite Skies. And, um, yeah, then I kind of started doing hip-hop on the side just for fun and it kind of took off so now I get paid for it sometimes too, which is pretty fun.
1: <laughs> Did you have hard times when you were younger? Yeah, I had I had some hard
0: times when I was younger – um my mum was a single mum and we kind of moved around a lot and yeah my my dad broke up with my mum when I was little so that was kind of hard but yeah I feel like when you kind of have hard times when you're younger that can be really character building and that can make you into a person who has a lot more compassion for other people and also can create things that are a bit more interesting because I feel like if you have a really chill life you don't have that much to say
1: (laughs) Where are you from and how does it feel? Um,
0: I'm from Australia. I'm Aboriginal and English and I grew up in England. My mum's from England, so I grew up kind of moving from Melbourne to Northern England, back to Melbourne, back to Northern England, back to Melbourne. Um, So yeah, I moved around a lot, but culture is pretty important to me.
1: How did it feel for you?
0: Um, It was pretty stressful moving around all the time when I was a kid, like kind of getting used to one country, then another country, then one country, then another country. But I'm glad to be back here because it was, yeah, pretty racist over in England and cold.
1: (laughs) Did you have a lot of energy?
0: A lot of energy, yeah. I think I've always had a lot of energy. Um, I used to talk really, really fast and nobody could understand me when I was a kid. (laughs) And my teachers would be like, slow down.
1: (laughs) Do you like being famous?
0: Um... Yeah, I don't think I'm I don't think I'm that famous, but I definitely enjoy the platform that I have and that I get to get through cool stuff like this with you guys.
1: Do you have any social media?
0: Yep, I do. I've got an Instagram that I use to promote my hip hop stuff, which is Race Rage Rhymes, and I've got Facebook, um my own one and my one for my music, which is Race Rage, and I've got um TikTok, but I, that isn't really for my music. I just more do dorky dances on that.
1: <laughs> How long does it take you to write one song?
0: Um, it kind of varies. I feel like if I'm really inspired, I can write one, like I can pretty much write the lyrics for one in a night. But if I kind of have a deadline and I have to write a song, like at the moment I'm working on my first album and I had a really short amount of time to do it and the fact that I knew that I like had to write a song right there and then it take, took me, like, two weeks to write one because I was like, oh, it's like homework, it's hard to do.
1: <laughs> what is your favourite rap that
0: you wrote? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think one of my favourite raps is one that I wrote called Black Girl Magic, which I wrote for my little sibling um, about, I guess, not seeing yourself represented in media when you're growing up as a as a kid, as a black kid, and I guess seeing a lot of stuff in magazines and stuff about one kind of... Beauty being um, always portrayed as like being skinny or being, you know, pale skin, being white. So I wrote that song to kind of talk to my little brothers and sisters about being really proud of who you are inside and where you're from and your culture Uh, and that that's really beautiful.
1: Did you used to um, be bullied how you are?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I got bullied heaps as a kid. Um, I got bullied for the colour of my skin. I got bullied because I had really curly hair. I feel like it's kind of gone less curly now, but it was probably similar to your kind of hair and people used to, like, stick pencils in it all the time and it was really annoying. Um, But, yeah, I feel like sometimes when you get bullied it can be really, really hard at the time, but if you can kind of overcome it and you can be proud of yourself no matter what other people say about you, even though that hurts then that can really help you when you're older and it can help you help other people when you see it happening to them as well.
1: How much siblings do you have?
0: I have four siblings. i got two brothers and two sisters and I'm the oldest, which you can probably tell because I'm bossy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) How did you become a hip-hop artist? Um...
0: Originally, I was, yeah, doing like poetry kind of stuff at some spoken word nights where you kind of like get up and, and just do poetry that you've written. And then I have a my best friend, Katie Spit, is a um, musician as well. And she was doing a lot of shows um, and I went on a karaoke night with her and I... Did, I'd never ever sung in front of anybody before and I did some singing with her and she was like wow you're really good you should do some backup vocals for my um, music so I started doing that and then I was like oh I can actually sing so then I started writing hip-hop
1: I love karaoke
0: it's so fun yeah you can't too. get me off the mic <laughs> thank you
1: thank, thank you. you thank you thank you are so welcome and we're from Collingwood College
0: Blacker the berry, sweeter the fruit, we're not for your consumption, but we're looking cute. Blacker the berry, sweeter the fruit, we're not for your consumption, but we're looking cute. That's nice. That's really No worries. <laughs> Are you? I'm actually really flexible too. She can do this, she can do... Ah, mm. cool. I
1: I can do a cartwheel.
0: Wow, oh my god! And
1: a big thanks to 3CR and the Yarra
6: Council. That was a really cute interview that some of the students from 3.4 Reggio Collingwood College had with Minnie, the hip-hop artist. If you'd like to catch more from these students, you can go to 3cr.org.au and in the search bar type in fidget kids. There are lots of great interviews that you can listen to. We'll be back right after this
1: a message from Victoria's community sector.
6: I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are gonna die of COVID.
1: To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care.
7: I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas
9: here with us. I really want to see my mum.
11: I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a
5: mask on.
1: To having all the sports back to normal so that
2: my family members can come and watch me play.
4: I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd
5: again.
2: So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please
1: get vaccinated.
5: Let's get back to the good things.
1: I ask you to get vaccinated.
5: For all of us.
1: Please get vaccinated. A message from Victoria's community sector.
2: A 3CR supporter
6: welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. It is now 8.03. We're going to go to another track. This is by Bajalung artist Budra and it is called Missing You.
3: With you, and alone up in my mind. Why does the evening sun have to leave you for so long? When I better could sleep, cause I'm wishing to be with everyone. I've been missing you, dear me. I've been missing you clearly. Are we strong enough? Or will we live long enough to die freely? for we are turned us. dust. Turn it up. Wishing to be with everyone
6: The song Missing You by Pouturar. Now we're going to listen to an interview that Michaela from the radioactive show had with Miralee LeRoy last month about some of the recent activities in the campaign to stop Adani's Carmichael mine, which is currently under construction on Wangan and Jungalingu country.
2: Marie, can you tell us how you got involved with the campaign around sure. Adani?
11: Yeah, so I became involved with, I'm involved with a number of the different groups, but initially I got involved with Galilee Blockade probably, when, well, when the when the group first started, which I think is about four years ago now, I really lose count. It was at the time when Adani was starting to ramp up his, you know, getting the mine started and it seemed as though... Uh, despite all of the evidence that it was a really bad idea, it just kept progressing and progressing. And there was talk about giving them money from the Northern Australian Infrastructure Fund. You know, they were going to give them a billion-dollar loan. And it was just getting ridiculous. And there were a number of us getting quite desperate. And then at that time, one of my friends who was... um, Ben Penning, who was running at that time for a mayoral position um, in the Brisbane City Council elections, and he decided to start up Galilee Blockade with a view to non-violent direct action. And that's really when it started, and uh, we've been going ever since just solidly toppling, um, I guess, contractors and and slowly making progress, but unfortunately, you know, the money are still winning at this point.
2: Yes, it's hard to believe. I remember when the project was first proposed, we were like, oh, there's no way this is going to get the go-ahead. But obviously there's still a lot of work to be done. Tell us about the action that you had at the Queensland State Government Building earlier this week. Yes,
11: so this was a, an additional um, visit to them. We've, we were there actually last week and we have, of course, visited them in the past. Um, But essentially what's happened is that since 2017, um, Adani have violated uh, 13 times um, a number of their different um, environmental uh, requirements. They've breached their rules. Um, They've received a couple of paltry um, fines as a result of that. They've even had a criminal conviction falsifying reports, but every single time they make a breach, they, as I say, they, they get a little slap on the wrist, um, and there are some breaches that still haven't been investigated properly that are being highlighted by people in the community uh, who, you know, if we look at the Mackay Conservation Group, who have uh, turned up this last breach, and the government's just simply not doing the job that they have promised they would do which is to investigate breaches and to make sure that (laughs) Adani pays for them, but they don't. So it's ongoing, and really we're just trying to highlight with the Queensland government that they do have a duty. They've stated they had a duty, but they're simply not living up to what they've said they were going to do.
2: Describe a little bit about what you did and what was the results from the, the action?
11: Well, last week we turned up... And we had a letter for them, and we wanted to have a meeting with the minister to put out a stop work order on the site because they're still, you know, breaching their requirements, and nothing is happening. They're still allowed to continue to work despite the fact that they are, in fact, um, causing significant damage to the environment, uh, which is against their um, their environmental plans. We weren't able to secure a meeting with some minister, not surprisingly. They sent down sort of the 2IC and uh, some other people in the department who very um, disturbingly didn't even know about the IPCC report that had been released that Monday, that week. They weren't even aware of what it was, which was very concerning. But they said that they had a draft letter that had been prepared and was ready for sign-off by the Minister and we would see a copy of it soon. Which was interesting because they didn't have our contact details and we don't know who they were sending it to. We presume it was the Mackay Conservation Group. But So anyway, we haven't seen a response to that from last week, so we decided to visit them again and kind of ramp up the pressure. And because obviously the meeting achieved nothing, our demand this time was very clearly just simply to put out to, to do a stop work order on the site. Um, we were there for quite some time. We had a loudspeaker. We read out what the breaches had been multiple times, and um, eventually protesters were um, let out by police. But again, there were no there were no arrests, and also uh, we got absolutely no response from the government whatsoever, and we're still waiting on the response that we were supposed to have gotten a week ago.
2: The latest IPCC report really confirms the urgency for shutting Mm. down projects like this and the urgency to act. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges for people in these times of COVID with various parts of the country in lockdown and also the heavier restrictions that uh, have been brought in by various state and and federal governments around activism. What is your feeling as somebody who's obviously involved in direct action? Well,
11: yeah, so we're very conscious of the COVID restrictions and we always comply with whatever the restrictions are at that time. Uh, We're very fortunate here in Queensland um uh, at the moment, because we seem to have done what Gladys can't do, which is um stamped out delta at this point in time. and so our restrictions are quite light. We have mask wearing outdoors and indoors, and of course we just ensure that everybody is wearing masks when we do an action. We um, very, very strongly inc- um, adhere to the social distancing, so you know we were very, very aware of the the covid restrictions and made sure that that is part that gets incorporated in our actions so we certainly don't um try and break any of those rules Um, you know we are doing non-violent direct action so we're doing what we can within the the realms of the law which is very clear that we are given that you know we've been at one william street two weeks in a row now and we're really just being monitored. The, the, the government is very clear that we're allowed to make our statement, and this is, I guess, where it starts to fall down and where people get frustrated. Is they're letting us make our statement, but because we're doing it within within the law, they won't do anything. They don't actually pay any attention. They're not whether they're listening or not. I don't know. So we need more people to be involved. Certainly in Queensland, that's very viable very possible simply because we're not in the same state of COVID that New South Wales is, for example, or you know the, the situation that Melbourne seems to be in as well at the moment.
2: For people listening in other parts of the country, what support and campaign work could they be doing at this time?
11: If they follow the Stopper network on Facebook, there is actually an event that they can join online on Monday. Um, which is a an event to give support to the Wangan and uh, Jagalingu people who are on country. At the moment, it looks as though they're going to have to step up a little bit. And so there is an action, to Stop Adani action, and it's it's available on, on Facebook. But we are looking for people who aren't able to get out physically to show solidarity and really make it very clear that the Australian people are not going to stand for these companies to constantly just keep moving forward whilst they're breaking all of the environmental regulations.
2: Yeah. So you're working closely with the Wangan and Jagalingu traditional owners?
11: Yep, absolutely. So um, there there will be some things happening, no doubt, along those lines um, but we're working very closely with the traditional owners and we're kind of a subgroup of Stop Adani, if you like as you probably know there are many groups around the country who are trying to stop this terrible mine from going ahead but they're all we're all kind of liaising with each other so we're trying to work in synchronisation so that we're we have the same end goal but we're attacking it from different from different angles.
2: Yeah, fantastic. And finally, is there any other projects or campaign work that you wanted to let our our listeners know about?
11: Well, there are continual campaigns against financial organisations. So if you get onto Market Forces, for example, uh, they've got a number of different campaigns in regards to stopping financing of these projects. Um, In addition, there are, again, back on the Stop Adani uh, Facebook page and the website, you will be able to also see online campaigns for um, against HSBC, for example, or the NAB, these companies who are saying they're taking action, but they really are not. So the State Bank of India campaign is still ongoing, um, and that is a, a billion-dollar loan that was supposed to have been given to Adani back in January this year. Uh, it still hasn't. So... And that's been largely due to the push by people here in Australia as well as um, other parts of the world and also in, largely in India. So those campaigns are ongoing and they can all be done from home. So we need people to write to HSBC and to the NAB and to these companies that are still continuing to finance these coal mines.
2: Great. Well, thank you so much, Marie, for joining us on the show today.
11: No problem. Thank
6: you. That was Michaela speaking to Marie Leroy about the updates on the Adani Carmichael mine on Wangan and Jugalingu country. If you'd like to listen back to that episode as well as other Radioactive show episodes, you can catch them on Saturday morning from 10 to 10.30 a.m., or you can go to 3cr.org.au slash radioactive.
2: 20 Years on the Inside is an iconic new podcast series that gives voice to the experience of First Nations people in the Victorian prison system.
11: 20 Years on the Inside. I'm Vicky Roach.
10: And I'm Kutcher Edwards. This series reflects on 20 years of listening to our mobs On the inside, as part of the Beyond the Bars prison broadcast.
2: 20 Years on the Inside is essential listening for anyone looking to educate themselves about the realities of life on the inside and the need to end Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander incarceration.
5: Well, all the boys mentioned about being in jail. What you do really isn't who you are, you know, it's how you love your family, it's how you care about your cousins, and it's how you care about your people. That's what, that's what this is about for me.
2: Catch the podcast via the 3CR website or on your favourite podcast app or listen live each Monday at midday.
6: Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast. It's now 8.20. Thought we'd go back to one more track. Uh, This is by Kutcher Edwards and it is called The Wait Is Over.
10: I always dreamt that I would find someone Someone who let me be me Be there in times of trouble Someone who shows more empathy Finally the time has come Please help me find my way. Take me off that. Dark tomorrow There's no one else to blame
6: That was the song, The Wait Is Over by Kutcher Edwards. We're now going to go to the news headlines for today. That's 13th of September 2021. And on the front page of The Age, there's news of an outbreak at Fitzroy Community School in Fitzroy North with at least 30 students and staff who have tested positive. News of this comes as Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced that Victoria would get 400,000 extra Pfizer and Moderna vaccine shots. Um, There's also a current vaccine blitz campaign aimed at VCE and IB students and staff. So please check the government's COVID website for more details on vaccination clinics and how to book appointments. There are a string of new pop-up vaccination clinics now operating at various high schools around the state. The first eight school pop-up clinics um, are at Dandenong High School, Point Cook Secondary College, Gladstone Park Secondary College, Roxburgh College, Brunswick Secondary College, Tarnit Senior College, Werribee Secondary College and a Lakeview Senior College, and these are aimed at school students. So if you are able, please get out there, get vaccinated um, and stay safe. It was also a big weekend for men's AFL with Melbourne defeating Geelong by 83 points on Friday night, and then Western Bulldogs also defeating Port Adelaide. And this means that Uh, Melbourne and Western Bulldogs will meet in the grand final um, and that will take place in Perth on September 25. And I know that uh, there are a lot of, especially a lot of Bulldogs fans out there who are really excited about that win over the weekend. So just to recap over today's show, we had... um, Uh, quite a bit happening today. We started off with um, an interview that James McKenzie from In Your Face had with Louis-Dean Valencia Garcia um, and they talk about a number of things uh, such as the Texas abortion law, um, voter suppression, the far right, Um, and the republicans as well as the delta spread um, in texas if you would like to catch more episodes of in your face you can listen on 3cr every friday from 4 to 5 pm or you can go to 3cr.org.au forward slash in your face after that, we heard from Bak- uh, Bakindi woman and Wilcannia resident Monica Kerwin, who spoke with Priya from Thursday breakfast about the current COVID situation in Wilcannia and also highlighting how you know the federal and state government have failed um, the community of Wilcannia as well as other Aboriginal communities not only during this pandemic but um, for the last few years. Um, they discussed ongoing issues such as um, overcrowding um, in housing and um, a lack of resources. And after that, we heard a really cute interview um, from some of the kids from 3-4 Reggio at Collingwood College for a segment called Fidget Kids, and they interviewed uh, Minnie, the hip-hop artist, which was really sweet. Um, And again, please check out the website uh, for more really sweet interviews. I think it could really um, lift a lot of people up during this lockdown. Lastly, we heard from Marie Leroy, who was interviewed by Michaela for uh, the Radioactive show, and um, they discussed, uh, you know, the updates um, regarding Adani, um you know, which is the mine that's currently being constructed on Wangan and Jagalingu uh, country. Um, and if you'd like to know more about how you can support at the Stop Downy campaign, um, if you go to 3CR.org.au slash radioactive, you'll find the show notes from that episode um, and has quite a bit of information on how you can support them. Well, thank you for tuning in to uh, 3CR Breakfast this morning. My name's Fung um, and please stay tuned for Women on the Line after this and 3CR Breakfast tomorrow morning at 7 a.m.
2: 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. And while you're there, check out Radical Coffee, a worker-run cooperative cafe in the courtyard. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.